Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, please. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. Let's just lift a couple of verses or so. Verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. And charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, a smoking flax shall he not quench till he send forth judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles or the nations trust. Father, thank you for the sense of your spirit this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you're moving in hearts even to pray this morning, to sing. My Father, now we ask you to move through your word and in your word and glorify your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you know as our faces differ, then so do our needs. We pray, Lord, you strengthen every one of us that's in this place this morning. Glorify your Son. We love him and we worship him. And in his name we ask it. Amen. Two weeks ago or so we brought part one of this. We did break it for the, uh, the Easter holiday period. And we entitled this The Withered Hand to the Bruised Reed. And the smoking flax. We spoke about a man in the synagogue with a withered hand. And just like any other day, he goes into the synagogue. He gets up like any other day. gets dressed like any other day. He goes into the synagogue like any other Sabbath day. And as he goes in, little does he know that was the day that his life would change for the better. Little does he know that that was a breakthrough for him in his circumstances and all the things that have beset him and come upon him. This man gets up with a withered hand, goes to the synagogue with a withered hand, and we find that this man meets Jesus with his withered hand. And at the word of the Lord and at the obedience of the word to him, he stretches forth his withered hand in the midst of the the synagogue and the people who are there. And we're told that the withered hand was restored whole like as the other. And we told you that it's believed that this man had injured it in some high and it had withered up and become wasteful. We looked at many of us have a, maybe a withered hand who our spiritual walk or maybe just in our own, our own mentality even can become withered and maybe it was working better before than what it is today. But we find that whenever we get up and we go through the monotonous routine of everyday life that we carry our withered hand and our withered hand, maybe spiritually speaking, maybe we are not as uh, alive unto God the way we used to be. In other words, we're not in tune with him. We're not um, conversing with him. We're not fellowshipping with Christ the way we used to be. And we've slightly withered in our faith or withered 
in our walk with him. What we find is that like a normal day, maybe it's a a day when you just come to, to church like you have this morning, and suddenly as we've had such great anointed worship this morning, that maybe the Lord just starts to minister to your heart, just starts to minister into your life. As he starts to minister, you know he's speaking to you this morning. You know he's talking to you and dealing with you. And like this man in the synagogue, he calls you to step out in faith. And no matter who's there, no matter what people think, no matter what others may say, your need is is greater than what others may demand of you. And when your need of what Christ has for you uh, is greater than the demand that people have of you, you realize that It's all that matters is you and him. And you stretch out your withered hand and your withered hand is restored whole. You know the hand that you used to use, now you can't. And the withered hand that you used to use, now you can't, that you thought you never would again. That you thought would be useless and rendered useless forever. Suddenly that hand becomes alive, stretches forth. Why? Because faith at the production of the word of God in in the life causes a man to do the impossible to him, but knowing that all things, with the one who stood before him and called him, all things are possible with him. And you may stand this morning with a withered hand and say, this is an impossibility and I'll never get to where I was or things will never be the same again and, and you're, you're struggling with it and you've got your withered hand and you're sitting in the congregation and the Lord's saying, stretch forth your hand and believe me for greater things and other things and better things. And you say, Lord, but I can never do it. And the, uh, the example is, or, or the word to you is, yes, you cannot do it. It's true. But when we keep our eyes on him, the one who says, Stretch forth your hand as the one who promises to restore you and to give you back those years that the locust and the canker worm hath eaten. That'll be a lifestyle of a rough childhood, an abusive childhood. And it's withered you so much that you find it hard to, 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 to get on in life. And here is your withered hand and the Lord says, I can make you better. I can restore you and make you whole. I can give back to you that which someone's robbed from you. I can give back to you that which someone has taken from you. I can bring your joy back into the salvation. I can bring joy back into your life and into your family. And just give me that withered hand. You see, because we rest on what man thinks and what man can do. And we realize that it's impossible with us. Just as we were worshiping and uh, and Gary was singing in the spirit. Then he sang just as the Lord had gave him. Uh, 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 words to say and something gripped me and grasped me and it was uh, about walking out on the water and stepping out off the boat and I thought Lord you know there's something in this this morning something in it for me there's something in it for you and you know we sit in our boats which man has made with their own hands and we sit in our church experience which man has made with their own ideologies and their own hands. And, and the one who's a creator of the universe, who's bigger than all of the things that man could ever make, he says, now step out of the boat and I'll cause you to walk upon what others sink in. And we're afraid to do that because we like to sit on our man-made ship. But the man-made ship drowns after a while and the man-made ship goes down after a while. And if it wasn't for the man Christ Jesus... They would never have made it to shore. This man with a withered hand is in a place full of men's ideology and men's philosophy and men's even theology. 
twisted as it was at this time, full of man's tradition, you find that this man has thought, I can't get up and stand up. I can't do it. Because if I do, people are going to look at me and people are going to think, this man's crazy, or people are going to think something wrong of me. Plus, it's a Sabbath day, and how dare God move on the Sabbath? And that's our mentality in many ways in our lives and the things that we look at and, Lord, I, I just can't see past today. I can't see past tomorrow. The Lord doesn't want you to see past into tomorrow. He wants you just to look to him today. That's where the withered hand stretches forth in the day which you are looking at him right now, right this very present moment, right here where you're sitting. God says, no, don't worry about tomorrow. You look to me today. Now hear the word, stretch forth your withered hand. The withered hand of your mind, the withered hand of your heart, Everything that is withered in you, God says, stretch it forth. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes see the healing on the Sabbath day and they're outraged at this. And so that's the background of, of what we have read this morning. And the hand, man's hands made a restored whole as the other. And so whenever we get down to uh, our opening verse in Matthew 12, Verse 14, we're told the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. But remember, as we looked, we showed you how Jesus, even though things were against him, still continued to do his Father's will. Totally sold out to his Father's will. How many Christians are, are, are come up against obstacles? How many Christians come up against things that have been said or done, or haven't been done, that should have been done, or disappointments, or hurts, and they they stay away from coming under the Father's word and will. How many of us would say, you know, well, I'm feeling a bit disgruntled this morning, I'm not going to church. Or how many of us will say, I feel a bit disgruntled this morning, I'm not going to pray. Or many of us will say, Lord, I know your word is speaking to me and it's really hurting me, but I don't like it and I'm not going to do it. Coming under the word of God is not always easy. But he gives grace that you can do it. Brother, catch that. Sister, please catch that. Sometimes things preached from a pulpit are spoken as you're reading the word of God, isn't easy. It's not always easy. But true grace enables you to come under the word and the authority of your father. Lord, I don't like this. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy be done. He heals them all, we're told, even though on this day, these men are around him and he doesn't like it. Or they don't, they don't like it, what he has done, rather. And we're told he heals them all. Remember, I told you the story. And I told you how the, it's in Greek mythology. How Nemesis, um, the goddess of revenge, uh, comes to uh, Narcissus and takes him to the pool. Because Narcissus is he, he's so... Uh, 
he's harsh and he, anyone, he receives love but gives nothing in return. And when, he, when, it, when people come that love him, he, he, he turns them away. Takes their love and uses them and abuses them. And listen, folks, you might have people that will use you and abuse you and take of you and drink of you and do all of those things. But listen, it's not about you. When you're in Christ, it's about him. It's about letting those people go. It's about letting them get on with it and leaving it with God. And Nemesis takes Narcissus to a pool and she shows him his own reflection, not knowing it's his own reflection. And what happened? He fell in love with himself. And when we fall in love with ourselves and our own thoughts and our own ways and our own likes and loves and all those things, we, we become consumed with ourselves. And we're told Narcissus then, of course, he loves himself so much he realizes, I'm getting nothing from this. It's only an image. He goes and he commits suicide. That's only Greek mythology. But in, that's where you get narcissistic from or narciss, narcissism, the, the terms of it. Because people start looking in instead of looking out. Christ looked out and he healed them all, we're told. Even though they were looking to destroy him, he healed them. Now, whenever we're coming into our, our next verse, it says in verse 16, and he charged them that he should not, be made, they should not make him known. In other words, he said to them, look, my time isn't yet, so you don't need... To make me known yet. But when you look at verse 18. Verse 17 tells us that he's fulfilling what Isaiah the prophet had said about him. Verse 18 he says. Behold my servant whom I have chosen. Notice the word now. Take it in. Behold my servant whom I have chosen. My beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. And we looked at this. And how the word chosen here. It's a word that gives to, to choose by reason of suitability. To choose by reason of suitability. So when, when God looks around heaven and the earth, when the Father looks around everywhere, none were suitable but him, Christ himself. No one was suitable for the job. No one was suitable for salvation and redemption. None was suitable but his beloved. In fact, the word beloved here is the word agapitos, where, where we get the word agape from, where it gives the idea of a love that is called out of the heart according to the preciousness of the object that is loved. In other words, this is the only one suitable. He looks at his son on the cross. He looks at his son when he's ministering before the cross. And he says, see this one, he calls the love right out of my heart. He calls the love right out of my heart. In whom my soul is well pleased. The word here gives the idea that God speaks with delight of his son. Do you know God is delighted with him? Now here's, the, here's where we start to, to minister on in the gospel and in Christ to one another. Here's where I want to minister this word to you this morning. Do you know when you're in Christ, God delights in you? Do you realize that this morning? I'm not up to much. You may not be. You may be up to plenty. You may not be up to much. But nevertheless, God delights in those who are in his son. I don't feel like much. It doesn't go in your feelings. It goes in who Christ is. I'm feeling like I'm lower than I'm not even knee high to a duck, as we would say. No, just so low. Listen, it's not how low you are. 
It's how great your God is. It's whom he is. And if we try and take it into our own mentality and our little, uh, shut, shut God up in our own little box of our own ideology and whom we think he is because that's how we feel and who we are. For example, his love is an everlasting love. I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. He says it. And his love is an everlasting love. Uh, um, yet we tend to think, you know, Lord, do you love me today? Because I haven't, I haven't prayed ten times today, you know. It's not about how much you pray or how much you don't pray. And I advocate we pray, so please get me right on this. But at the end of the day, it's not what you can do. God will not love you anymore if you were on your knees crawling on broken glass. He won't love you anymore. His love doesn't increase and decrease. It doesn't go in ingredients. God's love remains the same. And he loves you and he delights in you this morning because he sees you in Christ. And when he sees his son, he delights. He says, he's the only one that is suitable. He's the one who calls the love out of my heart because he is so precious to me, the words of the Father would say. That's the idea of this. And he says, and, 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 and this one, because you're in him, he says, and I love you like that too. Understand this morning, if you hear anything, hear this, that you're greatly beloved by him. Everything that we have and all that we are in our salvation, our redemption, justification, everything that we have all goes back to Christ. Take him out of the equation and you and I are nothing. Take him out of the equation, you and I have nothing. Take him out of the equation and the world has got no hope. Take him out of the equation, sure, we'll live this life, we'll go, we'll stand at a trial in the fiery furnace and there we'll be separated from God forever and ever and ever. That's taking Christ out of the equation. Don't take Christ out of the equation in your life. Because Christ should be central in our life that whenever we're centered on him, then we find that we are centered in him and so the Father sees us through him. Isaiah is quoted here, and as I said before, nine times Isaiah is mentioned in the book of Matthew. Nine times. So look at what it says here in verse 20. A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flex shall he not quench. We've looked at a withered hand. We want to look briefly at the bruised reed, and God willing, at a smoking flex. The word here, bruised, you know what it is if you bruise, if you hit a leg or some of you guys maybe doing football or some sport and you get, get a knock and you get a bruise in the leg or the arm or wherever. We know what it is to be bruised, but the word bruised here is stronger than what we would term bruising. It's a word centribo. And it means, gives the idea of something that is broken, broken down. I'm talking to somebody who's been broken down. Something that is crushed. It gives the idea to tear one's body even. To shatter one's strength. It gives the idea of one who is weakened and very, very sorely heartbroken. 
when I go through the fields and there's the long stalks of maybe, I don't know what they are, I call it grass. Long stalks of grass. You know what I do sometimes? My dog is running around. I break it off. And I walk up and I break it into a million pieces. Well, I don't know how many pieces, but but I break it up into many pieces. The idea here is, you know, if you get a stalk and it stands and it's all one piece, it stands up and it may wavel a little. But if it's a weakness in it, it just starts to go, doesn't it? Falls over. The idea here is of a reed that can blow in the wind. And the wind may blow the one way and blow the other, but the reed may bend, but the reed will come back again. But if there's a weakness in it and the wind blows too hard, it falls over. And the Lord has shown us here that maybe you this morning have been at one time bending with the wind. And maybe the blows and cares of this life have blown you back and forward all over the place and you've bent over and you've almost broken but you've sprung back up again. But you've been damaged. There's a bruising there. And you know, that bruising is you've been broken down or crushed. You've felt torn, shattered in strength. The weakness of it is in you, and so you're easily put down, as it were, broken down. Well, the idea here is that the Lord will not allow you to be broken if you give it to him. I can't take any more, Lord. I can't take any more, Lord. He says, I don't want you to take any more. I want you to give it to me. I want you to give it to me. I'll not break you. I want you to put your trust in me. I want you to put your worries in me. I want to put your cares in me. I want to help you and I want to bind up your wounds. I want to strengthen you. The Lord says, I'll not break you. You know this word is used for to bruise the sun tree, but it's actually used uh, of uh, the woman in Matthew 14 where she comes and takes that sealed uh, precious alabaster ointment box and she breaks the seal. You know the breaking, it can't be repaired. It's the same word used here. In other words, she broke it and poured it over the Lord. And that's a beautiful thing. But the idea is you will not be broken where you will not be able to be repaired. If you come, he says, You'll, you give it to me and I, I'll strengthen you. You will not be broken when you can't be repaired. Here's a, a, another quick one. And, you know, again, I think if I heard it right, Gary sang it this morning in the Spirit. I didn't talk to you about this, sure, didn't you? And it was hitting me. You know why, Gary? Because it was dealing with me. Because God was speaking to me. I needed to be here this morning. You know why? Because I'm like you. I get weary. I needed to be here. Listen to this. 
Luke 4, verses 17 and 18. Luke chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Let me tell you the background of this, because time's flying, and I, I want to try and give you this and let you go home with it. Luke 4, verses 17 and 18. And then this, the Lord Jesus again in a synagogue. You know what the synagogue were different from the temple? They were a group of men who got together to, to try and... It was like their Bible study, if you want. Rather than go to the temple. They went to the temple three times a year. But they, they, they had their synagogue on a Sabbath. Jesus is in the synagogue and he takes, it says the book, but he takes the scroll, the big long scroll, and there's no chapters and verses. And it says he finds the place. In other words, he, he, he runs up and down to find from right to left to find out exactly what it says in the book of Isaiah again. Remember, he, I said nine times Isaiah is, is mentioned in the book of Matthew. Uh, but here it's in Luke, and listen to what it says. He opens it and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Do you notice that? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. It's the same word here for a bruised reed. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. The word bruised is different there in the, the, the original language, but the word bruised there is, is to smite through, to shatter someone, to pierce them. He says, and the Father has sent me to set the captive free. He sent me to give sight to the blind. He has sent me, he says, to heal your broken heart. That's why he's here. That's why he came, that he would know your heart and heal your broken heart. See, a bruised reedy will not break. I'll finish out a bruised reed and do a few verses here. I want to show you something and then... Well, God willing, we'll do a smoking flax maybe next week. It is said that these reeds were taken and flutes were made out of them. And so the shepherds would sit with their flock and play the flute. I don't know why it was that way or that way. But if one maybe sat on it by accident, it would bruise it. And some shepherds would go, oh, maybe a different sound will come out of it and throw it away. Start all over again with another one, do something different. The idea here is that in your bruising, God does not cast you away. He will not cast you away. Rather, in your bruising, he may look at it and you may be the flute that once played a beautiful song and attuned to him. But he says, I won't cast you away. You might make a different sound at the moment, he says. But I am come, and I am come to heal you, to restore you. 
giving it to Christ this morning is the best thing we could ever do. Turn with me to Ephesians 1, a few verses to read out, and we'll finish at this. Ephesians chapter 1. I brought this in Bible study, and I have mentioned it to you before, but I find it strengthens me when I have a weak, a weakness. Maybe a, a weakness of moment of faith. Or maybe I look and I wonder where everybody is and they're not at church and I go, Lord, I will go in the opposite direction now. <laughs> These verses help me. So Matthew 12 and 20 says, a bruised reed shall he not break. The word break, a bruised reed, now I run the word break, it's very important, is the word katanume. Now, you don't need to remember the word. The only reason I'm telling you that is that you would, when I break this down as we close, you're going to see the, the, the strength of God in your life. The word break is katanume, and it comes from two words. The first word is kata. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. See the word, verse 4, according as he hath chosen us before the foundation of the world. It's the word kata, first word of this word for break, katanumi. The word kata gives the idea of pressure. It means dominance, pressing down, pressure, dominance, or a pressing down. That's kata. So when we read this word according, it says, according as he hath chosen us. So the idea is it was God's pressure, God's pressing authority. Notice that, brother. Grasp it now before you go home. No matter how weak you are, no matter how weak you are, it's all to do with him. It's his pressing authority and choice that you're here this morning. That he has saved you. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame, before him in love. The word, the term before him in love is the word katanopion. Again, it's kata, putting on a, a second word, and it's before him in love. It gives the idea of a stirring gaze, katanopion. For example, uh, in means in, and op means optation to see. So katanopion is with a very uh, downward glance of God. He loves you. You must hate me, Lord, because I failed you. He says, hate you. I give my heart for you. Hate you. I give my beloved for you. Fallen out with you. 
I gave the very darling of my bosom for you, the apple of mine eye for you, and you're saying, do you not love me? And you're saying, do you hate me? The Father says to you this morning, I'm looking at you, not in wrath, but I'm looking at you, looking at you in love. You're driving your car and you're thinking of everything else and oh, my head's all over the place. He says, but I'm looking at you in love. I've failed you, but I love you. Gives the idea, his pressing glare says he pressed down from eternity past. He knew you, yet he loved you and he sent his son to die for you. came to earth and he sought us. And let that strengthen you this morning. It isn't about you. It's for you. It's all about him. Quickly. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Think of this. To himself. I'm going to bring him to myself. Do you see that man there, that drug addict? Do you see that woman there who's been a prostitute even? Do you see that down and out and that cast away and that cast off and that cast out? He says, I'm going to bring them to myself even before you were born. According to the good pleasure of his will, In other words, according to the desire out of his own heart. Verse 7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We have redemption through the blood of Jesus with the pressing dominance of the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb covers you. The blood of the Lamb cleanses you. The blood of the Lamb has paid it all. It's the blood and it presses down. In other words, and as such power, it can never be removed. And it's the riches of grace that has done it. Verse 9, having known unto us, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he has purposed in himself. You know what the Lord's saying? See mine own pleasure as the sovereign. See mine own pleasure as the creator of all things. You see, my own pleasure as almighty God and there is none else beside me. He says, see within my own desire, I'm going to have her and him. And I'm going to love them. How do you feel now about your position in God? When I take that home, sometimes I'm feeling weak. I read that and I just go, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Verse 11, in whom we have obtained an inheritance. You've obtained an inheritance, Luke. Being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things out, uh, all things after the counsel of his own will. In other words, with the, the dominance of his own purpose and the dominance of his own counsel and the dominance of his own will, you're sitting here this morning. Well, Lord, I chose you. You did not choose him. He chose you. I 
can the dead choose anything? One more verse and I'll show you. For chapter 2. Verse 2. Where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. There's the word. It means the dominance of this world. The sin of the world. The riches of the world. The loss of the world. The loss of the flesh. And the pride of the life of this world. He says, you used to walk according to this. It had its dominance over you. You were a slave to it. You were bound by it. You were in bondage of it. He says, and that's who you were. But look, he says, that's who you were. That's not who you are. According, look, to the prince of the power of the earth, according to the dominance of Satan, that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You see, when he says, a bruised reed shall he not break, the word katanumi, he's looking to the man whom he's just healed like a bruised reed with a withered hand. There's a bruised reed and I didn't break him. I made him whole. I restored him. And the bruised reed here that he could restore us means that Jesus became the bruised reed of God. Shattered and broken down, crushed and heartbroken at our own sin and shame and the state of our own depravity of our human nature. Torn in body, from the Roman beating, bleeding from his own veins. The word here, katanumi, is used four times in Scripture. The one here, a bruised reed shall, shall he not break, which is katanumi. He won't put pressure on you to break you. He won't dominate you to break you, but make you well. Heal you, restore you, save you. But the other three times we're in John's gospel, we'll not turn to them. Chapter 19, you can read them when you go home from verses 31 to 33. And you know what's to do with this? The only other times this word is used in the scripture. It's to do with Christ hanging on the cross. And the Romans come to break the legs of those, him and the two thieves. And the word is to break means katanumi, to put pressure on the bones for them to shatter. They break the legs of the first and they break the legs of the second or two. But when they come to Jesus, he was dead already. Do you know why? No man took his life from him. He says, I lay down my life and I have the power to take it up again. But I'll tell you why. It's as though the father says, no, you don't. You'll not break my reed. He's a bruised reed, but he will not be broken by you. And when you're in Christ, And that dominance of whatever spirit or force or influence or circumstance come to you, the Father says, enough's enough. They're in my son. And you will not break that reed. You'll not break that reed which I have chosen. May God bless his word to all our hearts this morning. I trust it will encourage you. To think, Lord, you love me in spite of me and not because of me.